Hey, Marie, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, as you know, I'm kind of on the road this week, so uh, apologies to anyone if I sound weird or different. I've constructed a small pillow fort in my hotel room, <laughs> and I've got my microphone set up, so uh, hopefully it's not too uh, strange or sounding or anything like that. But yeah, so I'm on the road for like a remote work trip, uh, which is going well. How about you? How are you doing? I'm going good. I was just thinking that you sent me a picture of your little setup. It's hilarious, like pillows that are surrounding <laughs> your uh, microphone. But um, I would say that's commitment because, you know, we've been doing this. Um, this is actually episode 10. That means 10 weeks in a row because this is a weekly podcast. And, you know, I think you and I are both kind of on the same page that, you know, if we miss one, it could be a slippery slope. So I think <laughs> it's great. Like, even though it's, what is it, 11 o'clock at night for you? Yeah, yeah. You built a little pillow fort. You set up your microphone <laughs> and we're still recording. That's amazing. Yeah, we're making it work. We had a an idea of what we wanted to cover this week. We had some like questions on Twitter, specifically having to do with uh, Llama Life. But I thought first we could kind of recap our intentions that we set uh, last week. So uh, why don't I ask you about yours first? Oh, no. um, so you talked about onboarding. <laughs> Um, and also something about a uh, challenge or competition. So yeah. how I'm hearing the laughter that makes usually sounds like uh, they didn't go according to plan. But yeah, how'd that <laughs> I go? I think that's the thing. Nothing ever goes to plan when, when you're doing stuff like this. So <laughs> yeah, so I committed to um, finishing the onboarding sequence for Llama Life. And also we wanted to start running little competitions for our community. Neither of those things got done. We did work on the competition, so we talked more about how it would actually unfold and what we wanted to do, and I did buy some prizes for it. So I guess there is some progress, but we didn't launch the competition. The onboarding, oh, I just really haven't had any time to do coding this week. It's something I feel super guilty about, but I would say this week's sort of been more of a marketing week for me, marketing, customer service, business admin mm -hmm. kind of week kind of just happened. It wasn't planned, but there were a lot of things we were trying to get through. There's still a lot of progress, but not from a dev or a coding perspective. And I know I shouldn't feel guilty about that because it's still progress. I just do because I like doing the coding. Right. And I get a lot of satisfaction and sort of instant gratification when I code something because I can see it come to life. But this week has just been more, yeah, marketing stuff, mm. which is still great, very, very important but the payoff tends to be a little bit longer term. Like you do something now, you might not get a result straight away. It might pay off in a few weeks, in a month, several months. You just never know. But I don't get the same satisfaction. So I guess long story short, I didn't do my intentions, which is good that we're calling it intentions because I did <laughs> intend to do it, but I didn't do it. How about you? I think that's great though, because most indie founders, indie hackers, whatever you want to say, like, struggle with the marketing. So the fact that you did some marketing is like putting time into that, I think is great. Uh, I think most indie devs just want to do like 98% coding and then maybe like send out the occasional mm. email. And actually, like speaking of the term indie devs, that maybe is going to lead into our conversation yeah. today. But quickly, I'll cover my intention. I talked about getting back to working on my book. And that actually went really well. So I've been reading the book Tiny Habits, uh, which is there's a lot sort of like similar to Atomic Habits, but I'm really enjoying it. And there's definitely some different ideas in there, which uh, it's it's worth reading both, I think. But because of that, I set for myself a tiny habit of just like either even just reading or writing for five minutes in my book. So either writing, like sitting down, setting a five minute timer and writing 
or just like reviewing stuff, just like five minutes with my book a day. That's like the tiny Mm -hmm. habit I'm trying to set. And it worked really well. So I've put every single day, I've put time into the book, um, editing stuff, and it's been feeling really good. It's sort of like, because I've been avoiding it for so long, it's sort of like refamiliarizing myself with my own stuff and like, oh, I can write this better. And oh, I know a different angle to cover this that I think would be more interesting or more easy for people to understand. And so all of that's been going really good. And specifically doing the five minute habit has been really helpful because I've had a busy week. Like I said, it's a remote work week. So I have a lot of work to do. And there's a lot of like, I work at a company that's got a lot of remote employees. So when we're all kind of in the same city together, there's a lot of extracurricular activities happening like in the evenings mm-hmm. and stuff. So I don't have a lot of time. But since I was doing this five minute habit, it's hard to say that I can't do a five minute that I'll sit down with the book. And so I've been doing that even when I didn't feel like I had time and I ended up getting like 15, 20 minutes in, which felt like three hours of productivity in that yeah. short little window. So in short, like the book stuff has been going really good and which <laughs> it needs to be because like I said last week, I've got a due date coming up and a little over a week now where I have to submit what I have to an editor for review. I paid that editor specifically to give me this this deadline. So I feel like I'm progressing in the right way and uh, yeah, feeling pr- yeah, pretty good about that it. That sounds good. Yeah, I think uh, it would be good to kind of shift and talk. So a lot of people were asking on uh, Twitter, you would... I think you had tweeted something. I can't remember what sort yeah. of sparked it. Do you remember what sort of sparked yeah, those Yeah, yeah. It was like a random tweet. So it was last weekend. It's one of those tweets where I, I didn't really spend a lot of time on it, actually. I was reflecting on my own journey. Like, mm. you know, what have I been doing lately? Um, sometimes when you focus on stuff week to week, it feels like you're not making progress. And I kind of had one of those weeks last week. I was just trying to make myself feel better. So I started thinking about longer term like what have you done in the past few years like what have you what progress have you made and whenever you zoom out whether it be by month or by quarter or by year it just looks a lot nicer right you can actually go hey last year I did this and then the year before I was doing that <laughs> I was just at the dinner table and I was like oh yeah I've actually made quite a bit of progress so I just tweeted this thing out it said like my journey so far 2018 I did this 2019 I did that so I'll just maybe I'll just read it out so um, people know the journey and we can link to it as well in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. But it just says, 2018, I quit my job. It was a nice job. It was a high paying job. Quit my job. 2019, I started learning to code by watching YouTube videos. 2020, I launched Llama Life. 2021, as a solo indie maker, I bootstrapped Llama Life to 700 paying customers. And then 2022, so this year... Um, I raised uh, 680000 pre-seed round from Jason Calacanis and Black Sheep Capital. I put that out there and then it kind of just went nuts. Like mm-hmm. it, it's probably one of my most viral tweets. And I ended up just pinning it to my, my profile because mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense. It kind of tells people when they come and look at my Twitter, like this is the journey so far. And if you follow the account, like this is kind of where I'm up to and the sort of content you'll get. I've been pretty transparent about sort of raising money, kind of going from an indie founder to funded startup. But even with that, I think a lot of people were surprised. Like they didn't realize that that had happened. They still thought of me as this, as an indie founder. And I kind of still think of myself as an indie founder because it's not really that long ago that <laughs> I got the funding. Still very much at the start of having received that funding and what am I going to do with it? There were quite a few questions about why did you make that decision or what was the transition like going from indie 
and bootstrapping to being funded? Like, how did the whole thing come about? And I started trying to answer them on the tweet, but it's just too hard to answer in a, what is it, 100, no, 280 <laughs> character tweet we have now. But I think a lot of the nuance just gets mm. lost and it probably doesn't help people because if you try and answer something really quickly and the context isn't there, they start trying to fill in the blanks themselves or or worse than that, they start comparing it to their own situation right. and it's really hard to compare against someone else. Like you really shouldn't do it because it probably will just make you feel bad because you don't know all the history and the context. So I just put on Twitter, hey, I'll, I'll just talk about it on the weekly build if, if anyone's interested. So um, that's where it's at. How did it come about? Like, were you were you running, you know, doing Llama Life and decided like, oh, I'd really like to do this with the company and to do that I need to get funding or was it more did it more just sort of like fall in your lap and you had to sort of figure out where it came from like what yeah what was the story like that led from indie founder to starting that whole process it was a little bit more the latter fall in your lap sounds almost too easy it wasn't exactly like that but it was quite serendipitous so when I started Llama Life I didn't set out to raise money I actually started Llama Life as a side project because I was learning how to code. You know, when you teach yourself how to code, one of the first things you build is kind of, you know, a simple to-do list because it's a it's a really good way to kind of practice, you know, how do you move data around, like thinking about data structures and mm-hmm. writing to a database, retrieving from a database, etc. So that's kind of what I built. And obviously Llama Life is more than just a to-do list. It's a tool that helps you focus so that you can set timers against every task and there's a bunch of other features in addition to that. But it started off as a to-do list and it also started off because focus, um, as a person with ADHD, focus is a challenge for me and I wanted to build a product that would really help myself, like try and solve a problem that was something that I experienced every day. So It started off as a side project and I didn't intend to raise money. I intended to bootstrap it and I bootstrapped it to um, the 700 paying customers. So I spent a lot of my own time and my own money just trying to get it off the ground and intended for it to be an indie product. But what happened was I was building in public on Twitter. So just sharing the journey like I share the journey today. And I put out a really early version of Llama Life It was like super basic, super like MVP kind of version. Straight away, like people started jumping on it saying, hey, what is this? Like, I I want it. Where can I get this? And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. And I was like, no, 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 it's just a project. Like it's not public. It's not available. That was it. I didn't really think much of it. And I just kept building in public and I just kept pushing out new versions and new versions. And I think I was ending, there was a lifetime deal on the product and I was ending the lifetime deal, like a one-time payment lifetime deal. So I just mm-hmm. tweeted, I put a tweet out saying, hey guys, like 24 hours left, I'm ending the lifetime deal. Because you can't just end it, right? You have to tell people I'm going to end it, otherwise they get upset. <laughs> right. So I literally spent like one minute on this tweet and I was like, hey, it's ending the lifetime deal. That's it. I shut Twitter, I opened my code editor and I just kept coding and I didn't think anything of it. That tweet went viral and... I started getting all these Stripe notifications on my phone, like people going nuts, like just trying to get in on this deal. <laughs> and what happened was somebody on Jason Calacanis's team, so Jason has a an accelerator program called the Launch Accelerator. So for those who don't know Jason Calacanis, he's a, he's a very well-known angel investor in the US. He was one of the first mm-hmm. investors in Uber, Calm.com, uh, Robinhood. 
and he has an accelerator program called Launch Accelerator. And somebody on his team that was part of the accelerator that runs the accelerator saw this lifetime deal tweet and they ended up buying Llama Life. They really liked the product. So I was like, okay. They DM'd me and said, hey, I just bought the product. I really love it. Love what you're doing. Have you ever thought about joining an accelerator? First of all, I didn't answer straight away because um, my database had crashed because everyone was trying (laughs) to get the lifetime deal. So I didn't answer him like for, I think, two days. And I was just trying to make sure everyone could get in on the deal if they wanted it. And then two days later, I was like, hey, sorry, I saw your DM. Haven't really thought about it, raising money or joining an accelerator, but open to having a conversation. And so we jumped on a Zoom call. We Mm -hmm. had a conversation. He goes, I just really like what you're doing. And I think it's a, you know, a fresh take on a productivity app. You know, have a think about it. So I was like, yeah, cool. Have a think. Then I think the next day he said, hey, I ended up showing Llama Life to everyone on the team, on Jason's team, and everyone really likes it. You know, we'd love you to apply for the accelerator. So I applied and I went through the normal application process, went through all the interviews, uh, went through like putting together my submission form and I ended up getting into the accelerator. So that was the first step. And as part of the accelerator, you do get some money. So they basically give you like $100,000 US to take part in the accelerator. And that's whether you go on to raise money or not. Although there is a slight, there is an expectation that that's what you plan to do, but they'll say, take part and we'll give you $100,000. The the reasoning for that is so you can essentially, like if you're working, you can quit your job and spend full-time in the accelerator program Mm -hmm. and full-time on your business. So that's what that $100,000 is supposed to do kind of give you that support and that buffer. What does the accelerator program look like? Is it just like, yeah. here's some money and now focus on the thing? Is it like a course? Is it like regular meetings? Like, yeah, what, it, what does that kind of process look like? Yeah, so it goes for three months and essentially you meet once a week. Every accelerator program's a little bit different, but the, the goal is kind of the same, which is really kickstart your business, like help you think about like what's going on with the business how to grow it, think about the customers. And with the case of launch, it also focuses a lot on how to pitch to investors and how to raise money for your business. So every week we would meet Mm. for a couple of hours and there were seven other companies in the same group as me, in the same cohort. We would pitch to investors every week and we would pitch to like really large investors as well, like Sequoia and, you know, Craft Ventures um, as well as angel investors. But every single week we had to pitch and we had to hone our pitch during the week, tweak it. Mm-hmm. You basically pitch for two minutes, I think it was, two or three minutes. And then you had to answer questions from the investors and you had two minutes to answer questions. And it was it, it was pretty tough. It was rapid fire questions about your business, what the plan was, like how are you going to grow it? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty intense. And for me, I was I'm, I'm based in Australia And this program is run in the US. So it was great because it was remote, so I could take part. And it was remote because this was during COVID times, like peak COVID in 2021. But I was waking up at 4.30 in the morning so I could pitch investors at 5 a.m. my time. It was definitely not easy. I was pretty tired. I I think sometimes you underestimate how much sleep you need and like how it affects (laughs) what you do. I was, yeah, yeah, it was really rough, really rough. Like getting up at 4.30, having a quick shower just so I'm 
I needed to have a shower so I could be awake and then pitching the investors. Right. Yeah, and it's full on, you're in the hot seat. Like you have to pitch and then you have to answer questions and <laughs> people are very nice about it, but like they're not there to give you, they're not there to make it easy for you. They're there to really push you and make you think about the business. Right. Mm -hmm. That's how it originally started. And during the course of the Accelerator program, I guess my mindset on Llama Life shifted a bit. They made me think about it in larger terms. Like, where could this possibly go? Like, what could you possibly do with it? I guess the difference between an indie business, like say a lifestyle business and a startup, it's just the expectations on how large the business can get and how quickly you can get there. And that's why you would raise money. You would raise money in order to kind of give it this, this big boost to see if you can grow it quickly and build a product that people want mm -hmm. and a product that people love and a product that, you know, importantly, people pay for as well. That's what happened. That's what shifted it. The ambition for the product became larger. You know, during that time, I was also building out features and I started to get a lot more emails from customers. So I've done a few startups before Llama Life, but I've never got the emails that I get now with Llama Life. And the emails people send me are, they're not just like, hey, thanks for building this. It's like an essay. They usually, like they're telling me their life story and they're saying, oh, I'm so glad, like I found this product. Thank you for building it. And then they'll launch into, mm -hmm. you know, how they're struggling and, you know, they're really trying to get tasks done. And a lot of our customers have ADHD as well. So they share that. They're very open with sharing their life story. And I really appreciate it. But it also makes right. me think it's worth it, like that I should keep pushing on the idea and trying to make it larger because it's helping people. And that's very fulfilling and very yeah, for sure. rewarding for me that, that the work is appreciated and it's actually making a, a difference and an impact. So after the accelerator, I started raising money and the process of raising money is pretty full on. It took, probably took like a good, almost six months, I think. And it's almost like a full-time role because you're constantly mm -hmm. reaching out to investors, getting introduced to investors. You have to pitch your business. So it's not just talking about the product. You have to pitch the financials, the business model. How are you finding those investors? Is it something that the startup accelerator like gives you a list of people or recommends or like, yeah, how does that work? It's a combination of things, but it's always best to get an introduction to an investor. I think it's similar with anything in life. If you get it, if you get intro to somebody else, it's always stronger than if you just, you know, do a cold outreach to someone. Yeah. So it was a combination of having gone through the accelerator and obviously Jason is very well connected, mm -hmm. kind of getting introduced through the accelerator program and also just me reaching out myself saying, hey, I was part of an accelerator program. That helps because it, it immediately gives you a bit more credibility. Someone's already vetted you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really about leverage and introductions. It's, it's super hard just to reach out to someone cold and say, hey, invest in my business. <laughs> They're obviously looking for a return on the investment. There's different levels of investment too. Like some, some people put in smaller checks. So a check size could be like 5K. For some people, some of the larger investors would put in 300K. It just really depends on the type of investor. But then you need to think about what's the mix of investors. Like, do you want to get a lot of 5K checks and then have a lot of investors to manage? Or do you want to get, you know, two 300K checks? 
And there's challenges with both, right? Because it's harder to get the big checks versus the small ones, but then there's less investors to manage mm -hmm. and less expectation to manage. So Lama Life had a combination of that. We do have some uh, smaller angel investors in the round as well, but we have two main investors, Jason being one and Black Sheep Capital being the other that make up kind of the bulk of the funding and then a lot of smaller uh, checks in there as well. Right. So you talked about uh, like managing your investors. And I think a lot of people obviously, you know, see your story. And first off, they're curious, like, whoa, 600,000. Like, that sounds awesome. How do I do that? Which is kind of the first part of the story you talked about there. But I think there's a lot of question as well Is like, well, now what? Like, does that mean, like, is Jason telling mm -hmm. you features that you need to do now? Or like, like, what does that sort of process look like? How much does it weigh into your daily decisions? And like, how much are they part of recommending where to put the money or yeah, how do, what does that part look like? Because I think mm -hmm. I personally, I have no idea. And I've heard like the idea of kind of getting funding is a little bit scary because you hear a lot of like horror stories where there's like it, you just sort of like lose a lot of that control. And I know from talking to you that it doesn't mm -hmm. seem like that's the case. But so what does that look like from your perspective with Llama Life? I've, I've heard those stories, too, and I think they do exist but I kind of think about it, it's a little bit like when you go for an interview for a new job, you're kind of interviewing, the people interviewing you are assessing you, but you're also interviewing them in a way, right? It's about mm -hmm. finding the right match and then also getting recommendations from other founders. You know, have you been funded by that investor? And what, what do you think? Like, how has it been for you working with that investor? Right. It really is about trying to find a good match. And I've been really lucky. So Jason and Black Sheep Capital, they're... They're there to offer any advice if I need it. But in terms of making any daily decisions or strategic decisions about the company, I still make all of those. I have not felt pressured to go any direction. It's still all the decisions 100% are lying with me, but they are there if I need the help or if I need the advice. But it's really up to me to kind of reach out and say, hey, we're stuck on this. You know, what do you guys think? I did have an instance, was it a couple of months ago, where there was a, a Llama Life copycat, pretty full-on copycat, like it was blatantly trying to rip Llama Life off. Sometimes when you get copycats, I'll just be like, just ignore it. Like it's not even worth the time. But they had really right. gone all out to copy the names of the features, the, the look and feel, like everything about it. So I reached out to the investors and I asked for some advice there, like what would you do? And that was great. So was helpful. I think that's what all investors aim to be. Like they want to be helpful in some way, not just right, be there yeah. to write a check, but be there to give you advice based on their experience. Mm -hmm. You know, so far I've had a pretty good experience. I still am making the decisions I want to. I still am building the features that I want to, still hiring people that I want to. Maybe I'm lucky, but it's been great so far. I don't know if you're comfortable talking about numbers, but like, what is that for the people that invest, like, what does that get them? Like, is it a percentage? There's a number of ways that could go. You don't have to go to specifics, but I think those are always interesting if you do want to. Essentially, what happens is they're giving you the, the capital in exchange for equity uh, in the business. Mm. I, I won't go into too many details because there's, there's so many ways you could do it. There's different legal documents. One's called a safe. One's called a convertible note. You can also be raising like a priced round, which means usually a later stage kind of funding round where you know what your business is worth, then you can raise a priced round. When you're talking about a company like Llama Life, which is super early, 
Typically, people raise the money on either a safe or a convertible note. We did a convertible note. And all that means is that, you know, you don't really know the value of the business yet. So you kind of come up with a, like a, a valuation number. And then based on that, you give the investors equity in the business. And that equity is not kind of realized yet. It will only get realized later on, but mm. it's kind of a promise for that equity later. That's kind of what we did. That's what most early stage companies do. But uh, I guess the short answer to the question is they're putting the capital in and in return, they will eventually get equity in the business. It's usually around 20% is kind of what you you go for. You don't really want to give away more than 20% each funding round mm-hmm. because you'll end up getting diluted as, as time goes on. Right. But it's, it's, it's in exchange for a portion of the company and the investors make money back when there's some kind of exit event. So if you get acquired or you IPO, mm-hmm. then that money, that, that gets returned. So that's, that's roughly how it works. I think Llama Life situations, nothing out of the ordinary. It's quite a typical funding round. One interesting thing might be is that we have an Australian investor and a US investor. So that was a little bit more of a headache because we had to create a company in the US as well. Because mm. before it was just set up in Australia. So now there's sort of two entities. One owns the other one and the investors all invest in in one of them. So gotcha. that was a little bit of a headache for me, but... <laughs> Uh, other than that, everything else is pretty standard, I would say. I believe you said this was like a pre-seed round. So what what is next? Like, what does the future look like? I imagine at some point, like if this being the pre-seed, I imagine there's something mm-hmm. following that, like another round. Like, when would that be coming? Yeah. What do you sort of expect that to look like? What does the future hold there? Well, I guess it depends on how well we do with the pre-seed money. But essentially, when you raise money, you typically try and raise for 18 months of runway so it should last you at least 18 months. And when you're pitching your business, you should be talking to the investors about, okay, this is how much money I want to raise. This is what I'm going to do with that money. And if I do all that stuff, it should carry me through the next 18 months. And where you want to be at the end of that time is in a really good position to raise money for the next round. So it's all about putting your business in a position to raise, like a good position to raise money for the next round. Because obviously if your metrics look bad, it's going to be really hard to raise the next round. Right. A lot of people go, I'm raising money to last me 18 months. That's kind of not what you should say. You should be saying, like, I'm raising money to build these features or grow this audience, and that should last 18 months. So the, the time frame is not the, the emphasis, right? It's more about what are you going to do with that money to grow the business? You should just be thinking roughly 18 months' time, but a lot of people just they don't think about that, and they just say, I need this much money so I have 18 months' runway is not a good pitch to an investor. You really have (laughs) to explain what you're going to do with it and how it's going to impact the business. And obviously all that stuff can change. It depends what happens, but you still have to have a plan. Once you start executing some of that, it could change. They want to see that you have a vision. What might you do to get to that vision in a short amount of time? I think that's a, a great place to kind of wrap up the conversation. I tried to ask the questions that I thought were interesting, but I'm sure I missed some. And so, uh, listeners, you can just like tweet at the weekly build. And uh, if you have any further questions, and maybe we can cover those on a future episode. Yeah, maybe we could wrap up real quick with sort of uh, 
intentions of the week. For me, because this week's been kind of uh, wild with the remote week and everything, I'm just sort of going to continue on the book because I really, I'm, my intention is to get the book ready to send to the editor next week because I'm sending it whether it's ready or not. So hopefully I get it ready. <laughs> what about you? I am so reluctant to give an intention just because <laughs> I feel like the last few weeks I have not been able to meet it. So this week, a lot of the time was taken up with recruiting stuff. So we're trying to build out the team because we've got the vision now mm. and we want to. So I started off as a solo dev, uh, solo solo indie um, hacker. There's been one person join the team this year who's focusing more on partnerships and community, but we need another dev. So we've been looking, you know, been doing a lot of interviews for another dev. Um, there's also a couple of like sort of contract roles, very specific sort of roles that have, require very specific expertise. Mm -hmm. This week we've been doing a lot of interviewing for that. And so I, I guess my intention would be next week, hopefully we've made some offers. Mm -hmm. If not made an offer, decided what to do, whether it be to, to move on and keep interviewing, but at least sort of make progress on the recruiting side. Because if you can't grow the team, it's pretty unlikely you, you can hit that vision. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's very, very, very hard as one person or two people in a business to really hit the scale that an investor is looking for. They are expecting right. you to grow the team, like use some of that money to actually grow the team. So that's kind of what my focus has been on the last couple of weeks is like, okay, how can we build this team? Because we know what we need. We've identified the gaps, but now we need to actually get people to fill those gaps. So my intention would be to actually make progress on the recruitment side of things. Awesome. I think that sounds great. And uh, yeah, that's a good place to end it. So uh, thanks a lot. And uh, it'll be good to chat next week and see how uh, both of those go for us. Sounds good. Have a good week. Awesome. You too. See ya.